0: From Glitch HQ on Riverside Avenue in updated, age-appropriate Minneapolis, this is Nice Games Club, the show where nice game devs talk gaming and game development. I'm Martha McGarry, and I make nice games.
1: I'm Steve McGregor, and I make nice games. And I'm Martha Corolla, I, too,
2: make nice games. Oh. So this week's episode of topics are uh,
0: patches and add-on content and international age rating systems. <laughs>
2: Let's start. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Out of practice, are we? No. I just usually am done after I say, I'm Arthur McGarry, I make nice games. And so my brain just was like, oh, you can just listen to Mark say the things now.
1: <laughs> so this is the third episode we recorded today. Uh, we're a little tired. Okay.
2: Yeah, so a little behind the scenes in the clubhouse. We, we, you know, we try to keep ahead of the schedule so we, have, so we can get you episodes weekly. Yeah. And so we record two at a time every other week. That's our schedule. But we fell behind about a month or two ago, and so we were kind of on the knife's edge for a while.
1: Yeah, yeah. So
2: today we're making up for it, and we're recording three episodes. Yeah. And apparently two is our limit.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it doesn't help that it's kind of like a hot box in here right now. That's right. <laughs> yeah,
2: <laughs> There's the, sort of like that the cusp of weather where we're like, it's a little too hot out, and we have to turn the air conditioner off when we start, yeah. and it just, it's the yeah, it starts getting real, real bad. Yeah, night, yeah. Which yeah. is the opposite of what we feel like late fall and like towards the wind in the winter, where it gets too cold all the time. Yep. Like, oh, I don't know. We're
1: better prepared for cold here. Not, <laughs> not so much. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, in July, I will be going to a Game Devs of Color event. Um, I, I know a couple of the people who run it. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it'll be exciting. And like, I'm really looking forward to it, because I haven't been before. It's in New York. Oh, that's uh, awesome! Yeah, um, like New York City. Uh, no, I think it's in. It's in. It's in Albany. It's in. A, it's in a location. I can't remember right now. <laughs> okay,
2: <laughs> you'll uh, have to check. Yes. Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, but it, it. It. I'm. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah. So, if you're interested in you know meeting me or uh, anybody else going to the event, uh, check it out. Um, uh, it should be fun. It's, just, it's. I think it's the weekend of uh, July twentieth. Mm-hmm. I believe is the weekend, but, you know, check the website to confirm that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it's like a one day conference. or it is a, It's it? just a one day thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but like, I'm planning on staying there for a little bit longer because um, it's always been uh, me and my brothers, uh, uh, we all a goal to like go to New York mm-hmm. um, and tour it. Right. We're going to actually take the train there because I guess that was an aspect of this dream
2: that we both had.
0: Yeah. <laughs> oh, I've taken that route before. Yeah. How, how was it? Um, It's good. Okay.
2: Will the, it take you to wherever you're not sure New York? <laughs> <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> it's really funny because they always advertise the one from Chicago to New York is like scenic route, blah, blah, blah. But yeah. that scenic part happens um, from midnight to 6 a.m. or something. Oh, um, wow. that's just, so you never see any of the uh. like...
2: Great Lakes, whatever. I've driven to New York a couple of times mm-hmm. and Pennsylvania is where it's at. Like I've never stopped in Pennsylvania. Yeah. But like that is where like the, the beautiful part of the trip is. I wonder wow. if that's the same on the on the train route. Um, but yeah, it's a nice drive. Well, we're taking the train. Somehow. Well I'm sure it's that's
1: nice too. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well train the train is super fun. Have yeah. you taken train the train? I have taken the train okay. a couple of
1: times in the past. Yeah, yeah, that's nice because it's basically like flying in a plane, but like you're can be comfortable and get up and there's a little more
2: room right? yeah. yeah so like
1: you can sit down and relax and it's long it's like I feel like that's part of the draw yeah <laughs> and so like you can just like chill for 12 hours I don't know play games or hang out with people or yeah. work on stuff I mean I'm going to a game devs of color event so
2: I can game dev yeah. while I'm in the process of going. so uh, describe this event a little bit like what what's uh, what's on the docket
1: Uh yeah it's, I mean it's kind of like uh, GDC oh I guess it's game devs of color is GDC
2: yeah <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs> And so, uh, yeah, it's, it's basically that. There's a bunch of talks and stuff. I know mm-hmm. that like Ava's doing a talk, and my brother is showing his game off there. Yeah. I met uh, a couple of people who will be showing their games off at, at this event as well. Um, so there will be like games you can play uh, that are being made, uh, or I guess around that area or not, because my brother's here. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, additionally, like there's a lot of talks and stuff. So like it's yeah. basically just an exchange of ideas. Cool. Um, so Some networking and all that. Yeah, stuff. a bunch just of testers. networking stuff. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It will be fun. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, you have to report back for listeners. Yes. I'll, yeah.
2: let, I'll let y'all know how mm-hmm. I'm going. And we will put all the details in the show notes because the reason we're even talking about it is so that you, dear listener, can also have a chance to, to make your way to wherever we don't know you <laughs> are. <laughs> <laughs> yes.
0: Next is something, something I don't want to talk about. So you two can take it away.
1: <laughs> yes. Okay. Uh, yes. Uh, I watched the, the first episode of the new Black Mirror season because mm-hmm. I, I only watched this one because people told me it was about fighting games. And I don't really care about Black Mirror. Most of the time, I was like, oh, fighting games. okay." Uh-huh. So I checked it out. I liked it. I liked it quite a bit. Yeah. Um, but Mark, you said you did not.
2: <laughs> well, let's get into. Let's explain. Okay. It. So yes. Yes. Tell us to recap it for us. Yes. Uh,
1: so if you haven't seen the episode and you would like to, I, I would uh, skip a few minutes ahead.
2: Yeah. Well, uh, it'll be the first. We'll start the first topic after this. So, yes. uh, well, that's in the in the show notes where the time code is. So. Yes. Skip ahead if you don't want to spoil it. Spoiled, yes. Be spoiled. Um, but basically, what happens
1: uh, in the episode is like these two guys um, uh, play. They like display this game. I guess in our current time, 2019. And it's basically a fighting game spoof. And like I was while I was watching like the fighting game stuff happen. I was like, some of this stuff is broken. Y'all need to balance this mess. <laughs> <laughs> Because of course I was looking at yeah, the you audience.
0: you had your little notebook and you were taking playtest notes?
1: <laughs> oh, I sent them good notes. <laughs> they know they know my demands. <laughs> um but uh um, so and then uh it goes into the future about like I think it was eleven years or something. Mm-hmm. Um one of the characters is uh you like know, they is, start out college age and then they become yeah. like boring adults. Yeah, yeah, of, basically. So yeah that's they, the idea. Yeah. One of them is a family man. Uh he's he's got a kid, he you know, he works, he's got a boring job and all this stuff. And the other one is uh older but like he uh is single and he's he's constantly, you know looking for relationships. And stuff. It's he's unfair. like a very successful, like
2: urban dwelling bachelor. Something. Yeah. I, I, it's
1: unclear to me that he even had a job. <laughs>
2: I did not know. Um, they hint at it a little bit that he's like making a ton of money. Yeah. Doing something. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But um, so basically this all like uh, starts up where um, they have uh, the, the the family man has a, um, a party um, and then uh, uh, the guy, uh, the other guy shows up and he's, and he gives them this game. He gives them the striking fibers, the sequel, the new one striking fibers X. It's got, like, fancy virtual reality aspects to it. Um, and so uh, later that night, they end up playing the game, um, and, like, they put on the the
2: VR chip or whatever, and, like, they get transformed. Uh, right, it's like the sci-fi movie of VR, which is, like, yeah. your eyes roll back into your head and you're in a fantasy world. Yeah, basically. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, and, and it's really funny because, like, I felt like um, the game, Striking Vipers, was basically, it seemed to me like a porn parody of <laughs> regular Fighting game, um and then it turns out that like the, the characters, I guess you can feel all the physical aspects of the characters and stuff. And then these two end up like making out and having sex. The middle
2: of the thing. Yeah. So I liked it. You were just giggling the whole time
1: because I, I was like, "Oh man, this thing just—it just—it seems like a porn. Pr- oh well, they're now they're making out. Okay, how appropriate. It wasn't even a
2: surprise. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um. So I actually I found that episode to be like pretty funny, largely because of like those aspects of it. Yeah, yeah. That like, like the, It's uh, yeah. It, it seemed the whole premise of it seemed silly. Mm-hmm. Um. Um. But like, so I like the episode because largely it was about like them. Um. Being like they have their own relationship, but like they also have this relationship in the game that like they are exploring and stuff. But like you know the the family man is married and stuff, and he feels sort of feels like he's cheating on his wife and um. Um, but additionally, like they have uh such amazing chemistry
2: while they're in the game and stuff and like they had the, they like tackle with that and stuff. Right. And we see the other guy like trying to trying to date, but he's never fulfilled. Yeah. And so this fantasy environment where he has this like emotional relationship with his friend. Yeah. And then the sexual relationship in the game, it then it becomes the whole package to him. Yeah. And so he ends up getting a really, really attached to to that. Yes. Um and it is sort of it's interesting in in it's trying to like define like what is a relationship even yeah in a way yeah um but you like you liked it i did like it yeah i I mean the episode was like basically packaged made for me like it's got
1: it's got black people it's got fighting (laughs) games it's got relationships (laughs) that's That's like me (laughs) (laughs) it's the steven episode yeah (laughs) um so uh i i liked it a lot Mm -hmm. um I mean, like, I did wish that, like, they went into some. I guess I, I haven't seen a lot of Black Mirror episodes, so I don't know how detailed they get into, like, the specifics of the sci fi aspects of it. Mm-hmm. But I feel like the premise that, like, there's this fighting game where you can input yourself into the character, and then apparently, basically, everybody is just using that as an excuse to have sex. Yeah. They don't go into that at all. <laughs> yeah. They don't explain if this is, like, a common off level no, well, use. The, or? The, the Bachelor guy, he was, he, you know, like, they, like, split off for a little bit, and then they don't explore themselves in the, in the, in right. the game. But like the bachelor guy is still trying to explore him with other people, and he's like, "I can't. It's
2: not working for me," and all this stuff. Right. So like, right.
1: It, it clearly happens a good amount. <laughs> yeah.
2: At least the like, so it's like can do it with random people. Like, is it one of those things that you see it in the game store, and you're like, uh, "I'm going to buy this fighting game," <laughs> and, the, and the shopkeeper is like, "Okay." <laughs> like that to me (laughs) (laughs) that would be sort of interesting but yeah the the episode kind of just sidesteps that it's not really interested in talking about that it's more interested in talking about relationships and so it ends up being a little clunky in those places Mm. um i didn't have so much of a problem with that because like a twilight zone or an outer limits or any of these kinds of shows that are just conceptual ideas like they pick the thing to talk to be interested in and then the other stuff you just kind of have to leave alone yeah um it was maybe a little bit harder to ignore this time around but uh, but yeah you didn't, you didn't think it it met all that didn't quite re- get there yeah you know. yeah I mean yeah I don't know I, I, mean, I did enjoy it though yeah so that's all I had to say about it I, I, I didn't like it so much okay uh, mainly because the sort of the they tried to like um, ignore the gender politics so in oh, the, in the yeah. game it's a it's a man and a woman mm-hmm. and, but you know the but the players are both men yeah and they, I think even one of them just says like oh I guess I'm gay now and they try to like I mean, well, it's not a big deal, right? Yeah. Um, and it becomes more about like uh, uh cheating and and relationship and and like that's interesting, mm-hmm. but being sort of like to use a phrase like quote unquote colorblind to that idea, yeah, kind of robs it of how important it actually is, yeah. Like how people's sexuality, how they define it for themselves, yeah. To describe it as just sort of like you can pick whatever you want is actually kind of does it a bit of a disservice. I don't think there was, I don't think that was the message it was sending. Uh-huh. But I thought it was a little bit of a of a sort of a a clever but not well thought out exploration of that topic. I think
1: they do bring it up a little bit in the episode. Like like they have a whole, like I guess in the video game, they have a conversation about like the the bachelor guy uh, uh, explains like uh, how, how like uh, sex felt when you were like in, when he was
2: embodying that person. Right. Um, Right.
1: And like how it felt very different. It felt more explosive, I guess, or
2: however. Yeah. And I think, I think the problem I had with that was that, if that's the case, then why didn't they ever switch roles? Mm. Like why? You know what I mean? Like, cause it, it, they only ever played the same characters. Sure. And yeah. in, in the beginning of the episode, when they're playing the original version just on their TV, yeah. they make a joke about, you always pick that character. Well, you always pick that character. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that was put in the episode. So they would not have to deal with the fact that if there was a thing that was happening, that they would actually just swap characters a lot. And that would be part of the freedom of a of a thing like that, where you could be whatever and experience yeah. like a sec, any sexuality you want, yeah. like people would be invited to experiment and discover things about themselves. Sure. And the episode just is like, no, no, no; those are the two characters they like. But then they, yeah. but then they do sit down, and he describes that what being a, a woman is like. It's so different and interesting. Mm-hmm. And then at no point does the other guy go, "Oh, I'd like to try that." Like yeah. they don't. You think that that would be? I don't know. It just seemed like a part of the premise that they just sort of left on the table.
1: I, oh, I mean, I think that's I
2: think that's fair, and I
1: think that like that is. Accurate, like they could have explored that more. Right, and also I got the impression to me that like the the Family Guy character was just not interested at all in changing. I think that like yeah. part of their like sexual relationship in this game was the aspect of these two characters, um, you know, getting together. So I, I think that was just like an aspect of that, of their relationship. They didn't switch because that was part of their relationship. Like those are the characters they picked.
2: Yeah. See, I, I, I agree. Sure. I think then they, then they shouldn't have made a big deal about all the different about characters. how he was so interested in how he only wants to do this as a woman, because that wasn't the reason he picked that character. He picked that character because he likes that character. Yeah. And if that remained the reason, then, then that, I think they wouldn't, they just sort of opened the door that they didn't walk through. Sure. I guess the same sure. thing. I think that's right. um, so I, I I tend to be a little harder on on, on uh, stories that, that sort of float these big like test balloons and then just say like, look, we addressed it. And I don't think they did. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean they didn't address it really. Yeah. It was just kind of on the side. Yeah. Well you were saying too that you you, let, you thought it was funny. And I think yeah. the episode, because it, was, it really was very concerned about trying not to make light of serious things, yeah. trying to handle it in a mature way, yeah. because it's, it's fraught, and like good on them for trying. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it made the episode too serious. Like it would have been a great, they would have had to do a lot of work, they would have had to, to be very careful, yeah. and they had to be very confident. Yeah. But they could have made it a total comedy. And I think that would have been, it would have been done a better job of saying what they probably wanted to say. But instead, it was like a really, self, really serious thing that you couldn't help but giggle at. And I think that was kind of a missed opportunity yeah,
1: too. I think it would be I think it would have been really hard to say what they were trying to say about like relationships and connections and things like that if it was a comedy. Mm-hmm. I think so. Just because like I, I don't know how seriously like the premise is already pretty unserious.
0: It's yeah. comical.
1: So like having it like them lean
2: into it more would have I think I think it's just because you don't like virtual reality okay
1: (laughs) that's fair i'm kidding (laughs) yeah i I mean i don't um but yeah i I think that like it would have been difficult for me to like accept the their their what they were trying to say if it was a comedy
2: sure i don't know yeah Um, there's there are flavors of comedy i might i might be imagining it differently than you would um but yeah the 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 premise is silly and i think they 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 did so much to try to like uh, don't laugh audience don't laugh audience Yeah. and i feel like they could have they could have done it could have actually taken that and run with it a little bit and, and, and still and still done a, a measured and serious take, I suppose. Yeah. Um, that's fair. I don't know. Every Black Mirror episode is like that. It's like, wow, what a cool kernel of idea. And like, well, they could have done a hundred things different.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's that's true. That's yeah. very true. So that was our Black Mirror yeah. uh, part of the episode. Well, you know, they they do occasionally <laughs> do video game episodes, so yeah. it's definitely in our wheelhouse, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah, everyone's in a check it out. I know they had a VR one that I didn't with. Look at because it's a horror thing. I didn't <laughs> want to bother. I just somebody told me that this one was not scary and had fighting games in it, so I was like, right. "I'm on board." Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all I need.
0: Mm-hmm. Are sure. we are we done talking yeah, about? So I hate you. Can, you can come back <laughs> to <into> the show. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. Um,
2: we can't start until you transition us. Bro. I know,
0: I know, I know. You <laughs> <laughs> can't do something funny. Just say what the things are: patches and add-on content.
1: Uh-huh. That that is that is <laughs> I <was> like, yes, <laughs> yeah. So uh, I've been patching Treasure Stack, working on a bunch of patches, add-on content, mm-hmm. things like that for the game because uh, it has been out for I keep saying three months, but I feel like it's been longer than that. I don't know. It's just been a blur. We've just been working on it for so long. <laughs> um, but uh, so so we have been, you know, adding content into the game and stuff. So if you haven't uh, been playing Treasure Deck, you should check it out because there's new things. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but I wanted to talk about like what, why you should patch your game, and why you should add content to your game, things like that, and how to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, because like I don't know, it's it's, it's a the aspect of games that uh, we don't necessarily always talk about a lot. Yeah. It's now, not like as it, a player we experience it quite a lot oh yeah and it's um, annoying sometimes but as a developer <laughs> it's like a whole different deal mm-hmm. right so I wanted to bring that up uh, so really like the difference between a patch and add on content is a patch is intended to you know just fix things um, and so like it's just meant to like if there's a major bug in your game you're supposed to, you can fix it with the patch or something like that it's supposed to make the experience better for players but it doesn't add a, it's not intended to add additional content to the right. game
0: this
2: is a semantic distinction
1: yes uh, right. Whereas add on content, literally, you know, adds on stuff. It is a semantic dis- uh, description, but like you can, I mean, uh, I think that like, uh, being specific about what is a patch versus what is an ad, uh, what is add on content? You can use that in- internally. So you know what you're doing. It's helpful to sort of separate tasks. Yes. Right. Exactly. And also separate intentions. Mm-hmm. Um, because like you might be, you might be trying to add on content calling it a patch. And then like, you're thinking it's very important when it, really you can do it later or something. Yeah. Um, just, you know, keep that in mind. Um, so, like, a lot of like the, a lot of the benefit of, like, patches and things like that is, like, it uh, gives players um, more stuff in the game that they can enjoy. So, like, for example, if, like, there was a major bug in the game that prevented players from accessing uh, certain things, uh, a patch would, like, you know, give them, come back to it. Um, a lot of times with, like, um, fighting games and stuff, I will come back to a game after they've patched it because, like, I'm curious how uh, the balance changes or stuff will have affected games. So, like, I have come back to the content again, mm-hmm. um, which is
2: good. That's interesting. You bring up fighting games because yeah. generally most patches include balance adjustments. They do, which I mean, not exactly, but it is content.
1: It is. Uh, it is. It's not
2: fixing a bug exactly. Yeah. So the semantic again, it just shows how this is semantic. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, you don't. You do. You often see a patch to a fighting game that is just purely a bug fix.
1: Uh yes, I do. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, and in fact, uh, like. The Super Smash Brothers—the way that they announce like the different patches and the content that they'll um, add—is they'll have like version numbers, um, and the version number corresponds to whether or not this is a balance change patch or a main patch where like they add a character or um, just a bug fix patch.
2: Oh, interesting. Okay. Um,
1: So like the first number is a major patch. We'll add like Banjo Kazooie or whatever, Um, and then uh, the second one is your content update, and then the third one is or uh, balance update, and the third one is just a bug fix hmm um, and so, that's, that's scheduled essentially they are yeah i mean we normally don't find out about them until like a few days before they're supposed to come out but yeah mm-hmm. they are like scheduled sort of um and so yeah but that, um that that is, that is that is true that like that like uh it is kind of semantic whether or not something is content or not i think that like i, I think in general like a balanced patch is a patch Mm-hmm.
2: not an ad, not additional content because right.
1: it just changes the aspects of the game that's already there
2: right I guess the key is to just define it for yourself and maintain consistency yeah you could define it differently if you wanted to yep but what's the most useful definition for you totally yep um, and so
1: uh, I want to talk about like what can be really good for like adding patches and stuff patches and add-on content can keep people you know interested in playing the game keep them engaged in it keep like the, the community engaged and talking about it um, we have used patches in the patch for treasure stack to like get people excited to play the game and stuff um, we will like uh give like screen caps or GIFs of um uh, what new content we're planning on adding and stuff and people will get excited mm-hmm. um, so that's you know it's very valuable for that um and additionally, like it's cool to like um especially with add on content, it's cool to like take what you've made and like change it in a way that um enhances the experience mm-hmm. um so I mean, like there's a lot of aspects of it that can be really cool, but while you're working on patches and add-on content, you're not working on another game. (laughs) So you got to keep that in mind. yeah. Um, Especially, like, in general, like, with patches are supposed to be free. So I feel like sometimes people will, like, put this in the expansion. They put patches in an expansion, which, you know, Another thing we could talk about later,
2: I guess. Right, right. Um, but um,
1: in general, like, patches are free thing. free content that you're fixing or adding into the game.
2: Right, and when you describe add-on content, what you mean is free content that's delivered like a patch. Yes. Not not DLC. Right, right, right.
1: Even in DLC cases, like, if you're adding on content because of the DLC, that it, I guess it is add-on content. But, like, it's sure. still supposed to be free. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, when you're working on this stuff, it's free stuff that, like, players are getting... That's good, and they can get excited for that. But like, you're not working on a new game where you can add, earn additional income from a separate, you know, source.
2: Right. Like, a treasure stack is is a premium title. Right. right? There's no microtransactions. Yes. So you're just delivering more to keep engaged. Hopefully, get new users. Yeah. Because the happier existing players are, the more likely they to recommend. But at the same time, it's not a, you're not making things that you're then selling exactly. Yeah,
1: right. Exactly. So so yeah.
2: Um. Just keep that in mind while you're
1: working on stuff. There's yeah there's diminishing returns to adding new content and stuff as well, so like you know if you keep adding on new skins or themes or characters or whatever else, players are you know not always going to be excited about all of these things you have to keep you either have to keep ramping up the content so that it you know takes up more of your development time so that it is more um, interesting for players to see mm-hmm. um, or you know consume um or you know stop working on it um, <laughs> work on something new um so that's just something to keep in mind while you 're you know working on it um in terms of like actually making the patches, it's not very complicated at all, really. Most of the, I feel like most of the systems. Uh, I'm not experienced with all of the systems. Like I, I'm not experienced with mobile development and things, but I know that like um, on consoles and on Steam, especially, it's really simple. Uh, you do have to do a little bit of work to actually develop the patch, but other than that, like uh, you just make a build, uh, make a patch,
2: and then submit it to them, and then they'll accept it if it doesn't break the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like the making the patch is not, like, a whole different deal? No,
1: really, yeah, it's, uh, a lot of the times they'll, uh, they'll, you either, like, you don't actually have to make the patch, they'll do it for you in, in some situations, or, uh, like, especially with Steam, like, Steam, like, builds a patch for you. hmm Um, stuff like that, or, like, it's just a, a quick, like, click a thing and then it'll
2: make a patch and then you submit it with you. Right. And it's going to be dependent on the platform and the whatever store you're using, whatever. Yeah. But um, I think a lot of people are like, where's the make patch button in Unity? <laughs> it doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. That way,
1: right? No, no. You don't need it. Yeah. You, there's no make patch button. You just make a new build and then uh, develop the patch with that build. Mm-hmm. So it's it's really as simple as making a new build of your game. Right. And then slightly a little bit about a little bit more work, but like mm-hmm. five minutes. Um, Yeah. Um, In terms of like building your game Four patches, Um, and it's something to think about when you first start working on your game. Because, like, if you plan on adding content later on, um, you know, um, adding patches and stuff can bloat the size of your game um, over time. So you want to you want to be consistent, or you want to be considerate of that while while you're uh, developing. Mm -hmm. Um, On Unity, it's really nice use asset bundles. Mark, you're way more experienced in asset bundles than I am because, like, I did use asset bundles in Treasure Deck, but I
2: used them wrong. (laughs) I didn't know what I was doing. (laughs) Well, the good news about that is yeah. that it didn't seem to hurt you any. It didn't. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, so uh, I would look into uh,
2: mo- uh, using asset bundles. Yeah, I can um, briefly describe the benefits. Yeah, real clear. So uh, when you're making it, this is a really a Unity specific issue. Mm-hmm. Um, there are similar paradigms in other frameworks, but really Unity is where this inf- this information will make any sense. Yeah. Uh, generally, when you start making your first Unity projects, you put all your your assets your Textures, your your sprites, your prefabs. You put them in resources, which is a special folder yeah. in any project. Name resources, which is weird that that's how they do it. Okay. And then that becomes available to you at runtime. Um, and then when you when you build your app, it it builds it all into the resources package, right? Yeah. And it's pretty simple. Uh, it's easy for new people to learn. The problem with it is that it's non-deterministic, mm-hmm. which is basically means that every time you make a build, like where it is inside the bundle is not exactly the same. And I'm kind of being vague about that, but basically what that means is that if you're trying to make a patch from the last build through an automated system or a tool that you're using, depending on your platform, it needs to know the actual delta between the original uh, executable and right. the new executable. Yes. And if your resources folder is all jumbled up compared to the last one, mm. that's gonna, it's going to work fine as a, its own build, but then the delta is going to be like 100%. Yeah. And it means the patch is going to be the exact size as the game, yeah. which on certain platforms can get you into trouble. There are limits, right? Uh, um, sometimes um, a lot, a lot of places there are not limits, and so this only comes into play in certain scenarios. Asset bundles are a new paradigm that Unity came up with a couple years ago. That basically, um, where you package your assets into specific uh, bundles—the the, name—and um, then those bundles are themselves are deterministic. So if you change one, then the delta is going to be very specific. What's actually different about it? Um, but also, you can then. Um, separate your assets into separate categories. So you okay. can have, this is where all the prefabs go, this is where all the textures go. So like, let's say you make a, a patch for your game that, that um, gets new high-res textures. Mm-hmm. Well, then you only need to update the asset bundle that contains those textures. Right. And then if, if it's a live game, that pulls, because you can put asset bundles on a server and then have people download them, yeah. you can actually just update it on the server and then, you're done. Yeah. Um, if you're doing it as a, a, a patch, then it becomes a lot simpler and the patches become smaller and only what you're actually changing. Mm-hmm. So that's maybe a little bit more involved than I had planned to describe, but it is beneficial. Yes. It's a little bit of a hassle to put together. Yeah. Unity doesn't make it super easy yeah. um, because it needs to support all the old ways of doing things as well. But yeah. So i built Widget Satchel. Like I just told myself, I'm going to figure this out. And so Widget ha- Satchel has nothing in its resources folder. And that's nice. I don't know that that matters. Like... And it was a lot of work and I don't know how great it is. Yeah, but the knowledge though. Yeah, the other thing it does for you for Unity specifically is uh, makes your build times faster. Yeah. So if you're just changing code, uh, it doesn't need to rebuild those assets. They just already exist on, on disk. The problem is you have to build them separately. You build yeah. your asset bundles, then you build your build. Yeah. And if you get to do that, then you're using and you changed assets but didn't rebuild the asset bundles. Anyway, so it's a different workflow. Yeah, that's true.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes.
2: Uh, so keep that in mind when you're
1: building, especially in Unity because like, you know, uh, I don't, as far as I know, asset bundles don't exist in other uh, engines,
2: but not in the same way. Yeah, yeah. this it's all it's a Unity specific implementation sure. of that idea.
1: Yeah. Um. So, uh, uh, most systems have methods to like decrease the size of the patches. Um. So, like for example, Mark was talking about uh, the deltas between um your your current build and the patch build. Um. They will, will keep that in mind and you remove content that uh remove content for the patch that like is the same uh like sprites or something else. Um and so uh a lot of times you don't have to be too concerned about that, but you know, uh you still you still need to keep it in mind, like because new content um is, you know, larger in terms of size. Code content is you know is pretty simple. It's really small. Um and you do need to pay attention to the size of your patch because it can be uh it it can be a problem on certain Mm -hmm. platforms. Um so just keep that in mind while you're working on stuff. Um also um really uh with Patches and add on content, they need to go through a platform's lot check. Um, and so, uh, and in the process, can be slow, um, as any developer <laughs> knows. Right. Um, and so, uh, if you plan on like adding on new content frequently, uh, like regularly, like I don't know if you're doing like Fortnite seasons or something, um, or you have
2: like a monthly patch or something, and that's your workflow.
1: Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you may want to consider using a different method to, like, add on this content. Like Mark was saying, you can have asset bundles stored uh, remotely on, like, a cloud or something. Mm-hmm. So you can use that as a service, or you can uh, build your own sur- system to do that. Um, yeah. Uh, it's uh, Otherwise, you know, it's, it's a bit of a hassle to work um, through the lot check pro- uh, uh, process, but, like, you know, you can also use that.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Um, a lot of time, that's good. You're going to want to have a, a, a relationship with that platform. You could, somewhere you can send an email yeah. To to sort of let you know that like what's in this and then that can you know, it's a, a lot of these processes are designed like certification on or lot check on certain platforms are designed for uh like for you to just do it. Mm-hmm. But um if you you know sometimes you can get like a little little speed up if you're like it's just a little patch, this is what's in it, I promise. Yeah. And you have a good relationship yeah. and you haven't, you know, steered gone wrong in your last couple of patches sometimes that can grease the wheels a little bit. That does help. It's sort of annoying that it works that way, but it can be the benefit of, then there's people who are releasing patches who are not in a hurry. And like, maybe they can be, someone can jump the line if they are in a hurry. Yeah. And it's, you know, the platform holders, they determine what's right, right.
1: Yeah, it's very valuable to keep note of what things you're changing in your game too. I mean, you don't have to necessarily go specific to like the files, but like you should tell, you should uh, keep in mind like the content and things that you're adding and changing. Um, so like if you're changing, I don't know, a sprite or something, uh, keep that in mind because like, uh, if you have a QA team or a second, a separate developer stuff, they know what things you're changing and they can use that. And also, like Mark was saying, you can give that information to, uh, whatever platform and they can maybe help you out. It can help them go through the process more quickly because they have that information and can use that during the lot check process. Um, so yeah. Um, um, yeah. So I, I, th- I feel like the process itself is relatively simple. Um, you know, just, uh, there's just these things to keep in mind while you're, while you're developing the patch. Uh, yeah. Uh, I did want to talk a little bit about like what makes, what makes a good patch, what makes a good thing to add on. A lot of times people can get excited about like new content. So new characters, new modes, even, um, mm-hmm. if you want, um, you know, so people can, uh, try out your game in like a different aspect or a completely different aspect. If it's like a completely different version of the game, we talked about, um, new, uh, different, uh, add on uh, we talked about extra modes in uh past episode mm-hmm. that, like so like you could use that as inspiration to add on to uh, your game but the, I think the most important thing with patches is to just make sure that the game works and that like your community of players are, are satisfied with what you fixed um, uh, that needs to be done first because like if you add on a new mode to your game but like people can't jump in your game uh, you should fix that <laughs> <laughs>
2: Because otherwise, they're just not even going to bother with your new content, right? Yeah, like what? What do you if you're a patch or a, you're going to change things, tweak things? Yeah, and you have to decide like, am I making am I making the game my players already own in a way that like now they don't want to own it <laughs> yeah. wouldn't, or wouldn't have bought bought it, right? Right. So you do have to be careful. Sometimes. Yeah,
1: you, you do. Um, and and you also have to be careful about like what you're adding into the patch specifically because like everything you add to the patch complicates the patch. Making process hmm. specifically the development of it and like what you, know, you need to test for and fix later <laughs> down the line. Um, so if you keep your patch, if you keep your changes really small, um, then like you can make really small, quick changes and hopefully get that through lot check and get more patches out more quickly so that players can get this new content or get the fixes quickly and
2: then they'll um, before they forget that your game exists. Right. It actually reminds me a little bit of Martha when you did your talk here on Git. Yeah. Like the idea is to have as f- few things as possible in a commit, so that you can you can audit them, you can know what it is, and you can test them better. And I think that's at a different scale. That's sort of what's what this is about, right? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, I, I'm curious about like how. Uh, I'm sure that this is probably a much different uh, aspect in web development, but like you're doing patches and changes to the web, you're to your things all the time, right? Yes.
0: So. Like the idea is, once you have some a product that is already out there, like when you're making something, I think this would apply to games too. If you're making something new, then you change all the things and you like make you know. But once something is out there and people are using it, like the less you change, the more stable it's going to be. So like even when you're fixing a bug, you have to be like, is this in scope of the actual bug that I'm fixing on my website? Or am I like changing a bunch of things that then might cause problems somewhere else, uh, and like will take too long to test before this patch goes out? Mm-hmm. Um, and I've run into that a lot where I'll, at my job where I'll be like, but I could just fix this other thing; it's right here. And they're like, <laughs> make a bug for that so we can decide <laughs> how what the priority is of that mm-hmm. because we want to change, you know, we want to change the things that are most important first, and we want to only change those things.
2: Yeah, yeah. So, like when you're in development before it's out in the world, then that's the responsible thing to do, and the efficient thing to do is to just, oh, it's right there. I'll ta- I'll fix it. Right? Yeah. But yeah, once it's in the hands of people, it becomes dangerous.
0: Yeah, and like the yeah,
2: no less tempting. But
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
1: <laughs> how how frequently do do changes happen?
0: We do a release every two weeks.
1: Okay. That's plenty, plenty of time for you to like fix things and stuff mm-hmm. beforehand.
0: And th- yeah, and those releases are of things that we made a month before.
2: Ah, oh, okay, cool. So it's really scheduled and re- regimented. Yes, which is that. I mean, that's not you know that might be a little bit too constraining for some game development workflows, but it's not a it's not a bad model to adopt.
1: And and it keeps you in scope too. Yes, because, exactly right. Yeah, because like if you have all the time in the world to develop things, you might like spend a bunch of time adding a bunch of stuff, and it might take you two months to add. To add like the bug fix that your community has been asking for. Right. In addition to all this other content that they maybe didn't ask for. Right. Um, whereas, like, yeah, if you have a two week, uh, uh, what is the thing called? Workflow? Two week Work workflow. A sprint? Yes, two week sprint. Yeah, Get sort tr- of agile terminology. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. If you have a two week sprint, then you can keep that, you can keep all of that in scope and you know you can't, won't be able to finish this giant patch, uh, giant content stuff uh, until then. So you can uh, keep it in scope and just fix the bug that like, you need to fix.
2: Right. And of course, for a lot of games, it's not going to be two weeks. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a month, yeah. two months, six months maybe. Yeah. Maybe, Depending yeah. on the size of your game. Mm-hmm. You know, you yeah, you 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 build a workflow that that makes sense for the the work that you're doing. Yep. Yep. Mhm. Yeah. Um
1: um but yeah, and I, I definitely like that like your your company has like a a way that like they keep things in order and they make sure that the higher priority bugs get fixed first. That's really good. Um I think that it's important to mm-hmm. keep that in mind that priorities.
0: Mhm.
2: We've talked about this in a previous episode, but it fits really well here, so I think we should say it again. Yeah. Um. You you've talked a little bit about how you handle save data mm-hmm. when when the executable is changing. Yeah. And making sure that people that you know you don't, things don't get corrupted on, on people's local systems. Like, how do you manage that?
1: Oh boy. Uh. So. Um. Actually, it it wasn't that difficult. I guess. I think. I, I think I went into it in whatever episode we talked about it. Oh, in save data, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um. But uh, we, uh. What I did is basically I didn't think about this when we first. uh, release the game um but and later saves later saves will have a uh, variable called version number or something like that and it just keeps track of what version you are um so whenever you get the patch if the version number is not equal to whatever this patch version number is supposed to be it will update your uh version and do all of the things it needs to update um so like uh for example we added um, the ability to like um we added the ability to change uh, themes during ranked games later in the um, development process. And so like what I did is I just uh, I checked to see if you're using this version number. If you're not, um, then you update it and it will update it to allow you to get access to these new themes and stuff mm-hmm. uh, during the when you're in a ranked match. Um, and so, yeah, I basically, yeah, I just like use a version number to determine whether or not you're on the correct save. If you're not on the correct save it will update all of the values to right. accommodate
2: that and if anything changed names or you're using a different type of variable then you'll you have like a migration process that yeah. you've built in that's yep. hidden to the user right yeah you can put it all yeah. in there yeah and you guys you use json which is like a safer you know what i mean you can yeah. have you can have uh, vestigial values in there without causing too much trouble yes. compared to say a binary format right um mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: like, uh, I think you could get into trouble with some of the some of the platforms
2: if you if you uh because I think you need to use a
1: binary formatter on some of the platforms. Oh, okay. But um, I don't know. Uh, it it yeah, if you just keep that in mind in the in the future, Or keep that in mind, you know what's that what's that called forward?
2: Like forward compatibility. compatibility? Yes. Yeah.
1: If you keep in mind forward compatibility with your patches,
2: right? Because someone yeah. is gonna they're gonna have their their system on a shelf for six months. Come right? back. And they're gonna go from version one dot dot one to one dot dot nine. Yeah. And like you know. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And so like their whole um game is going to change um because of that. Mm-hmm. So uh yeah, I, I think that's yeah, I think that's good to talk about like the save data and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Um additionally with like new patches, new content, flashy content looks good. So <laughs> if you can manage to do that, you know, it'll, it'll, it's, it's something you can use in like marketing to, to keep people excited about your game. Right, right. Even if like they're on the, they're on the edge on whether or not they're going to buy the game. If you keep showing that like you're adding content and adding things to it, then like people will feel like they're getting more bang for their buck if they purchase your game.
2: Right. There's also something to be said about someone who buys a game on its third content update. Yeah. Expecting there to be three more. Yeah. Right. And like, you know, even if it's like, oh, this game looks good, I I wouldn't, I wish it had this feature. It'll probably get that feature. Right. And you have to be careful with those expectations. That's true. Uh, You have to follow through on that sort of stuff. You need to manage people's expectations. Yeah. Well enough. But you want butts and seats, right? Yes. A lot of times you just get them anyway. you can. Yeah.
1: Yeah. (laughs) It's interesting because it depends on your game too, because uh, if you mainly just want people to just buy your game and you don't necessarily, you don't need an online community, like Treasure Stack needs an online community in order to thrive. Um, but uh, because we have it's like seasons and stuff, we have like a whole architecture built around it. But if you're just building like a single player game and there's no online uh, experience at all, um, then like those are, those are different considerations to keep in mind because, like, uh, maybe adding on this new patch where you can change your characters' costumes or whatever would be really cool. But, um, the players who already purchased the game uh, might not get anything out of that or might not get enough out of it to like, uh, in, uh get other people to buy the game. And it's not necessarily important that players. Keep playing your game if they already paid for it. Mm -hmm. I mean, you want people to play to play the game fully, yeah, like all of us do. But like, if you're looking for for it monetarily, then like, it might not be as high priority to do those things. So, no, it's something to uh, pay attention to, to uh, think about. Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess there's a lot of considerations with patches, but like in terms of the aspect of actually doing it, it's not so bad. Yeah, yeah, Um, it's scary. It's a little scary. It's manageable. Yeah, totally, totally. (laughs) Uh, yeah, Uh, if you have any other questions about like uh, patches or add-on content or anything, let us know. Uh, contact at
2: NiceGames.club. Yeah, uh, pester Steven with your various questions. Yes.
0: <laughs> well, if you're making a game and you add-on content, you want to make sure that your content is age-appropriate to the game that you have. And one way that you can make sure that you have a defined age range for your product uh-huh. is to... Uh, use one of the ratings age rating systems from around the world.
2: Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is my topic, International Age Rating Systems. Um, I've been going through this uh, for Widget Satchel on the publishing side, um, you know, uh, rating it for content. Now, yeah. Widget Satchel's an E for everyone game. Uh, like, there's really not much. It's like rated, uh, you know, zero plus in, in certain regions. So ah. there's not a lot of worry. It's just about like, Doing it, yeah. And so I want to talk a little bit about um, how how and why you would need to do that, and then go over some of these different um, uh, rating systems um, from around the world. Yeah, I'm really curious about this because I have uh, we didn't have to do the, I didn't have to do this for Treasure Stack, right? Somebody else did it for me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so the, there's two types of age ratings. I think a lot of you know at people in the U.S., uh, um, which is you know a sizable part of our audience, mm-hmm. but not the entire amount, are familiar with the ESRB. Um, and they rate uh, video games. And it's a private organization. It's an industry um, uh, group. Okay. Uh, and it contains representatives from you know, a lot of the, the, the big uh, software publishers. Right. And um, you, know, you would submit your game to them with a, a complicated document describing what to do and how to do it, how it works, uh, at big questionnaire they would play the game this was a thing a service you had to pay for mm. um, and then you got your game rated and you slapped it on the box and if you disagree with the rating there was an a- appeals process and this is very similar if you're familiar with the the MPAA for films ah. um, you know they both have uh, you know uh, things to disagree with uh, and issues with how they rate things but I would say the ESRB is probably I would say it's a more trustworthy organization than the MPAA ah. that's just my take okay um <laughs> But it's an industry group, and the reason it is is because the industry was deathly afraid of government regulation, right? Because that's the other type of regulation, and uh, government regulation exists in a lot of places. Um, And uh, like the the, um, uh, Peggy, which you've you've seen in in trailers, uh, exactly. (laughs) Um, That is the uh, uh, Pan European. Something I don't know. Okay, <laughs> uh, and uh, that is a ratings board that um, uh, replaced many from many countries in Europe uh, as well as Israel. And um, the thing about Peggy is that they are they are a um, they're they're a, 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 a private organization, mm-hmm. but some of the countries that use Peggy ratings uh, give them the force of law. And oh. so it's actually you should if you're you know if you're in one of the countries that 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 uses peggy ratings it, you should really look this up and see how exactly it works because sometimes uh, some countries just take a peggy rating and then that's just you know then that's just information for the consumer right um, other times uh, 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 countries will, will will look at a peggy rating and then apply it to a law that they have passed based on on uh, uh, what can be sold in certain places who's allowed to to uh, to have things like this okay. and this is one of the reasons why Germany Uh, has its own rating system. Ah. And it is also an industry run. It's not government. It's it's industry run. But the reason it's their own is because Germany has special laws about Nazi imagery. Oh. Oh. And and Peggy doesn't care about that necessarily. And so... Um, there's actually a real difference because there are legal reasons. Legal, You cannot legally sell Nazi paraphernalia in Germany. Mm-hmm. And uh, it is definitely a form of government censorship, but I think a lot of people are perfectly happy with yeah. it. Yeah. Right? <laughs> um, but uh, it doesn't factor into Peggy ratings. And so... Um, it, you, it's it, interestingly, even though it is the the law ab- about that kind of that imagery that is, resulted in this, the actual organization that rates in Germany is not a government organization. Huh. So it's actually fairly complicated. Yeah. Um, you know, the upshot is fairly basic. Like, huh. you know, it's like, is it for 13 year olds or 17 year olds or adult? I mean, it's not that complicated yeah. ultimately, but how these are put together is really fascinating. And there's, I think a lot of people, um, you know teenagers especially uh, are like <laughs> like ratings oh man that's just like the word you know what I mean like there's this uh-huh. but you know there are real reasons for these sorts of things and yeah. the, the main stated reason for for rating content is uh, consumer information yeah. right it is to say like not everyone reads gaming blogs yeah. right not everybody is aware of all the things in these things so that is a, a, a you know a, a purported value to ratings um, the other reason is that it actually, you know, to some, there's an argument to be made, and I think there's a fair debate about this, mm-hmm. about actually protecting artistic expression. Because if you have enumerated ratings, then what, then you can avoid organically derived ratings. So what that means is if you have content that is like socially um, uh, from an, you know, from an outsider group, and it, that piece of art is then rated by a ratings board. On the standards which they set, which is just like violence, sex, uh, you know, the sort of boring categories things are rated on, right. it gets the you know the 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 M rating or the E rating or whatever. Mm-hmm. Then the things in it that are that might be uh, have difficulty surviving organically in a market get the seal of approval of the ratings board. And so there's something to be said about having these broad categories, so that instead of having society case by case punish minority artistic viewpoints. Yeah. Because they don't conform to what is sort of culturally acceptable, mm-hmm. um, that that is a danger of not having a system like this. Sure, yeah. um, on the other hand, you you have a lot of these rating boards have like sort of sometimes culturally regressive views on what the standards are, mm-hmm. right? And this is definitely true of the MPAA, which rates uh, sexual content, particularly gay and lesbian sexual content, much harsher than violence. Yeah, and, and that is because that is sort of the cultural standard by which sort of American pop culture works, but that, can, that leads into these official ratings. So ultimately, there's not one system that's better than another or no system that's better than some system or other way around. They all have their perils and benefits, um, uh, government uh, very
0: perilous. Yeah, <laughs> uh,
2: government regulation um, can actually uh, be a really good thing mm-hmm. because it prevents free market influences from impacting what these ratings are. So, for example, like a government can commission a a regular council, a research council, to determine what is acceptable to children. It can bring in psychologists. It can act, you know, it can do the work that like a industry organization is not interested in yeah. because the industry organization is interested in selling their product. Yeah. And so a government organization can be more concerned about the public welfare. Yeah. Um, and so that can lead to better, more like uh, responsible ratings. Um, and but on the other hand, it can also lead to political censorship, yeah. which is different from the sort of free market censorship you get from an industry group. And some really terrible examples of these are, um, uh, the, the one that's probably the worst is in Russia, um, there's been a huge backlash to uh, gay and lesbian content, GLBT, um, uh, 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 art and expression and political movements. And in, in 2013, they passed a, a law restricting the sale of art, uh, art um, mm. that um, uh, that prom- promotes or is propaganda for, as they say, non-traditional sexual relationships, oh. which is basically just the worst thing. Yeah. Right. Uh, it's you know, um, they don't you know, they don't have a, a, a tenet or a tradition of free speech in Russia. And this was a specific crackdown on on youth movements, on activist youth movements through this sort of like puritanical viewpoint. And that is government rep- uh, uh, censorship. And that applies to films and video games. Oh. Um, on the other hand, you have uh, organizations like New Zealand, they have government regulation, but they also have a program called Censor for a Day, which sounds hilarious uh, to, <laughs> to an American. But what they do is they have a board of censors. Like the word censor is not as taboo a word in uh, any way, okay. uh, especially when you have the government doing these things. It's not as scary of a, of a thing. Sure, um, But they have this thing called Censor for a Day, where they bring an unreleased film to a group of students, and they have the students uh, uh, rate the film. Okay. This is not official. They don't officially then rate this. Yeah. But then what they do is that then they publish what their rating was and then what the students said. Oh. And it's a way of them showing that that we are not, we are not this cloaked organization. We... We actually ha- use uh, existing standards that exist out in the in our culture yeah. to apply the, the, these ratings,
1: and that's interesting because they specifically use students who are you know young and they are, have been raised in in, in this new society. I suppose, right. It's a it's
2: yeah right. It, it prevents the old from determining what's appropriate yeah. for the young. Exactly. <laughs> oh, no, it's the children who are wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. and you know I, I I only read a little bit about this, so I'd be curious to see, but because it itself is a promotional campaign for the trust you would place in the censorship board. Yeah. Right. And, and, and how much of it is actually an expression of trust versus a show of trust. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Um, but you know, it's, it's a, it, it is a way to, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a robust system. Like they, they try to uh, uh, engender trust in it. Sure. Um, and so, it, there really is no right or wrong way, and I think that it's it's really easy to look at bad examples and then damn the system. Yeah. Um. It's also really easy to look at like excellent examples and then praise the system. Yeah. Um. And that's definitely it. It's super fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um. But one of the definite problems with uh, industry uh uh driven things is like the um the NC seventeen rating uh-huh. and the AO rating in yeah. video games, which um uh restricts the sale of a certain thing to to, to minors. Now again, this is not a law. There's no, no one can throw you in jail for selling. Uh, like we do not have censorship in America, like legal. Um, but we have this practical sense where no film chain in America is going to put an NC-17 movie on their screens. Right. Um, now, if we had more, if we had government regulation, we might actually have not, we might not have that problem, weirdly. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, 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 we're at the whims of like these boards. And so it is um, certain video games will get rated as adults only. And then that makes them suddenly they just cannot sell. Yeah, online store storefronts refuse to sell uh, AO games. Yeah, and so really, if you you have to, you then it, it becomes self censorship, right? Where a, a game developer or a filmmaker will, you know, they'll they'll they're like, well, I don't want to push the boundaries because we might get an AO rating, and I don't want to fight it, so I'm definitely going to self censor myself, so I don't approach that line. And a lot of times with these things, there's no. Written explanation as to what gets you what rating, and that—that's yeah, by design. Yeah, because Mortal
0: Kombat doesn't have AO,
2: <laughs> right? Exactly. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Mortal Kombat is one of the reasons we have uh, um, uh, ratings at all uh, in America. Um, prior to the to the nineties, uh, we we didn't have anything like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sega uh, started putting ratings on their own products, um, oh. and it was just Sega who did it. And then they launched an industry effort to say, "Hey, everybody should should use our ratings." right we, you know we'll have this board it won't you know we're not going to rate your games badly they but they wanted everyone to adopt their versions of ratings okay so if you look at a lot of uh, early genesis games that have ratings and you're like what is this rating yeah. uh, some of them are just the sega derived ratings and the reason they did that is because sega marketed itself as you know n- not not a children's product it was for older kids and adults oh yeah, yeah. and so but video games were still seen culturally as a children's product and so they wanted to get ahead of it a little bit uh, nintendo instead just had policies about not using, not having mature adult content, mm-hmm. and Mortal Kombat ended up being a big part of this. Where Mortal Kombat, you know, there's a, a, a you know, a blood on the Genesis version and sweat in the NES version. <laughs> yeah. Actually, there wasn't blood in the Genesis version, but there was a, a widely distributed cheat code that would wow. that would add it. Yeah. I've typed that in many times. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but um, then, you know, uh, these representatives from the, these companies, uh, who, which were both American subsidiaries of mm-hmm. these actual companies, mm-hmm. uh, were brought before a Senate hearing. To talk about um, violence and sex in video games and uh, whether there should be a government censorship board or you know whether the indie industry was capable of regulating itself and what methods it might do this. And you can look up a lot of this on YouTube. It's really fascinating. But you've got Sega talking about how like we've come up with ratings we're responsible we're only selling adult products to adults like that's what we're doing and Nintendo is out there going we will never put Night Trap on a Nintendo system of course, <laughs> yeah. FYI Night Trap came out for Nintendo Switch like two months ago
1: oh yeah right <laughs> yeah <Well.
2: laughs> so these are all I mean they were just end up these companies sniping at each other yeah but ultimately They finally figured out that it was best for them and their bottom line to self-regulate than to let the government come in and start telling what they could and couldn't sell, and so and whether that would stand up to you know the constitutional scrutiny, who knows? But uh, the ESRB was formed uh, to do that, and so that is that is pretty much the broad (laughs) overview of like what the purpose and point of a ratings board is and some of the little intricacies intricacies of it. Um, But I want to talk a little bit about how you get a rating for your game Mm -hmm. and what these ratings do. So. Like I was describing that process earlier, the submitting a questionnaire, paying for them to review, a lot of that is gone now. Mm. You can still do that. And in fact, if you're releasing a retail game, I believe you still have to. Um, There might be some exceptions, but if you're releasing a digital game uh, in this era, you can use a system called iARC, which is the International um, Age... Oh, jeez. Age... Rating Council? uh, Yeah, Age Rating Coalition. Ah, that's close. It's an International Age Rating Coalition. (laughs) And... It is uh, basically another group mm-hmm. that is then um, has a incredibly simple questionnaire. It's like eight questions that are really, really basic. Nice. Um, and then uh, it is standardized in a sense that then it has its own like internal rating system that then translates to all the other international rating systems, the ones that participate in this, right? Okay. Um, so um, uh, Peggy and ESRB, the two that a lot of Western game developers are most interested in, yeah. um, those are our members. So you answer you answer this questionnaire about your own game. No one has to play it. You don't submit it anywhere. Mm-hmm. And then instantly, in less than a second, it gives you your rating. Wow! Um, now the reason it can do this so quickly, and the reason that they have a the confidence of it, of it is because it's a digital product. So oh. you put you, you let's say you lie on this form, or you you mistakenly answer something that they that those boards would disagree with. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you 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 get rating, but it's it's let's say it's wrong according to what they might have done. Yeah. Well, it's a digital game. The rating can change. And so um, once it's out in the world, it can be corrected if needed. Mm. Practically, this doesn't really happen. And truthfully, the reason why this works, the reason why this exists, is because with mobile development, suddenly millions of games started appearing right. on I- I- for sale. Oh. And the ESRB and Peggy and other organizations were like, we can't rate all these games. Right, yeah. But if we don't, then suddenly we're not the ratings board. Oh. It protects their legitimacy. Sure, yeah. Um, it's ultimately win-win because you as a developer can now actually get these ratings fairly simply uh, without, you know, a lot of hassle. Um, and uh, to a consumer, there's something official about having that thing slapped on your trailer. Yeah. Like, it's, it's kind of, it's a little fake, but like, there's something that says like you're a real game you know, if you've got an E for everybody rating or whatever. Yeah. Um, You know, and then there's marketing value to say this is an M rated game, you know, then people know what to expect. It's real edgy. Exactly right. (laughs) And so, um, you know, some of it's smoke and mirrors, but like it is a much easier process these days. And the thing about IARC is that you submit your questionnaire and you get like a little, um, like a, like a a GUID, you get a long code okay, and that becomes your submission code, which then you can bring to different platforms so, so like, yes, I took this quiz. These are what, what I got. Mm-hmm. Alternately, and more commonly, in fact, you answer this quiz on the backend dev services of each of the platforms. Okay. So you answer it multiple times. Oh. Oh. Uh, because it's a mix and match. Um, some platforms support iARC ratings for certain ratings boards, and not all of them are others. Hmm. So, um, you know, it's it's um, um, like uh, Sony, for example, didn't support iARC for a while. It did, but there are certain boards they still don't support. Okay. So when you answer their questionnaire, you don't get all the ratings that you would from, say, an Xbox or something like that or something else like that. Right. And the details of this are, like, uninteresting, like, which is which. <laughs> it's only when you're back there and you have to deal with it. Um, but its it's been a huge boon for independent developers because it means that they can now... Uh, It it was basically required for a lot of developers to be able to publish on consoles. Yeah. Um. You know, mobile uh, um, for a long time did not require ratings uh, for a lot of the stores, but in certain places where uh, uh, ratings are required to legally sell a video game, right? And certain that have government ratings. Yeah. Um. Then a lot of times there was exceptions made for certain things, but then. Eventually, it became required. So you'll see games on iOS and Android now carry ESRB ratings okay. or ratings for the individual countries that they're in. Yeah. Okay. And part of the reason that that is possible now is because it's just way easier to get a rating. Um, anyway, so um, if you're worried about what to do and like, how do, how do I get a rating? And, you know, it's not that hard. Um, now, there are some boards, some rating boards that you can't. Uh, get a rating through IARC. Yeah. Some notable exceptions, and we'll get to that. Yeah. But I'll just talk a little bit about some of these. Uh, we talked about ERCB, ESRB already, so we'll skip that. Um, so, uh, Peggy as well. Um, the thing about Peggy that's interesting is that um, they, uh, because they represent a lot of different constituencies, um, they tend to actually be on the, on the vanguard of like thought when oh. it comes to like how to properly rate games, oh. um, they added a uh, um, uh, in-game purchases label um, in oh, 2018. Right. Yeah, that was okay. news that people may be familiar with. Um, and this is true for a lot of rating boards. You get your big rating, your letter or your or your number, mm-hmm. and then you some, there's these sort of subcategory things. Yeah. Uh, TV ratings are like this as well, um, or like even movie ratings have little descriptors. Yeah. yeah,
0: like E for everyone, but cartoon, cartoon violence. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah, certain
2: categories. Uh, Peggy has these little sub symbols. That you add on to the sort of things. Now, when you're using iArc, you don't get any of that because no one's actually reviewing your game. Yeah, uh, you just get the rating, and that's perfectly fine. Um, but um, but with Peggy, they do they did add that in, that uh, um, in-game purchases label, which is that's another case that really showcases the the benefit of these things for consumer information. Yeah, because that's a thing you might not know if you're buying a game for, right. for your kid. And you know, not to be puritanical about it or anything, but like. It is actually information you'd want to know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. If I got a kid and I'm buying them this thing and it has in-app purchases,
1: I don't want them accidentally buying stuff with my wallet. Well,
2: well, I mean, beyond that, it comes down to do you want a kid playing a game that has that psychology in it? Right. too, yeah. Uh, And that's the reason they put it in there is less to protect consumers' wallets and more about its actual content. Yeah. Right. And that's why um, like, uh, the ESRB has debated doing this but has not yet because it's run by its companies um, that yeah. are interested in keeping that stuff right and <laughs> and and Peggy is also not a government institution but yeah. it's more of a uh, it's more of a coalition of interests sure and so it's more you know it's it's more susceptible to like, Actual like uh, committee thought uh-huh. and, and less uh, influence of of its particular like um, you know profit motive. Yeah. Um, but it's not the same. You know, it's not the same as a government uh, group. But it's got some of those uh, some of those benefits. Um, so that's interesting about uh, Peggy. It covers Europe uh, uh, and Israel, like I said. Um, and one interesting fact that I found out recently, just a fun piece of trivia, mm-hmm. is um, in Britain the uh, um, the uh, BBFC. Um, the British something film, something, um, they, 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 uh, they used to rate games. Uh, they, they rate films in Britain. Okay. Um, they used to rate games, but then, uh, Peggy took that over. Mm-hmm. But, um, and I believe this is a, an issue of law is that if you, uh, ship a game that has like a, a behind the scenes, uh, um, sequence or like, uh, like a five minute, like uh, a movie that you play before, you know, that's yeah. separate content, like yeah. not a cut scene but that's separate content like okay. a, a documentary about the making of, or a bunch oh, of music videos okay. or sure. something like that, yeah. extra content that needs to be rated by the BBFC huh. because that's what that, that's the content is. And so like where the, where you draw the line is actually kind of interesting. Yeah, uh, you kind of have to, you know, you could get away with it if you don't do that. But like, you know, it, it's uh, it is interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a, that's a, that's a UK only issue. Um, but I found that really interesting to yeah. find out because they're very when you when you do IARC ratings, it does not include that because yeah. that needs to be actually rated by. But that's the court. something
1: to keep in mind if you have that kind of content.
2: That's right. If you're making a game that's you know, and now like that's not the case if you're making a, a game that is like a a video visual novel. Yeah. Like, does that qualify? Because it's a game, but yeah. you watch it like a movie and it stars actors. Yeah. Like. Yeah. It's not really a fully answered question. Sure. You know. Yeah.
1: I wonder where Red Faction fits into that. Yeah.
2: It's. <laughs> I, I don't know. There's. There's. I'm sure that there is. Um, more information that I have that could maybe lead you to a better answer mm-hmm. but, but I find that interesting it's like there's not always these uh, hard and fast uh, yeah. rules about these things um, so uh, uh, the uh, other main one I really want to talk about is uh, Jiro J-E-R-O that uh-huh. is uh, a Japanese um, it's an industry regulated group and then uh, GRB which is in South Korea and that is a government regulated group uh, they're very similar in that uh, neither of them are part of the IARC so they're not part of the coalition that you can get a ratings from right. um, and part of the reason is it's actually cultural Right. Um, the sure. the IARC is uh, um, you know and, and the, some of this is speculation on my part. Okay. But um, it's it's sort of Western focused, mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah. And uh, 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 these these two boards in Japan and South Korea they, they have been resistant to to sort of being homogenized into that sort of worldwide group. Okay. Um, and, um, one of the things that's, that's a consequence of that is that if you want to get, um, it's like, oh, well, okay, we'll find I I got to pay them to review it like, like the old fashioned way. Fine. Not exactly true. Um, in a sense, but you need to have, if you want to publish in Japan, you need to have a Japanese publisher who, or, or a friend of yours in Japan who can serve <laughs> as your publisher, yeah. contact them. They will not accept an email in English. Like, uh-huh. um, they're very much like, you know, like it's your problem. If the language barrier and the cultural barrier, yeah, and so it is uh, highly recommended. And there's no help you can really get unless yeah. you deal with a Japanese entity yeah. that is the same. That's true in South Korea. That's why
1: Treasure Stack isn't uh, available.
2: It's why it's why many many Western games. And in fact, there is a cottage industry of companies mm. in Japan and South Korea who specifically import Western games uh, to just be that intermediary and then officially publish. In those regions, there's some benefit to that because they can handle localization, and they do offer a spate of services. But ultimately, it's very difficult to self-publish, uh, if not near impossible, to self-publish in those regions. And it's very disappointing, especially for people making for, uh, games for Switch or for uh, PlayStation, which have you know sizable Japanese audiences that are sort of split. You have just sort of the Americas and Japan, or sometimes the two regions. A lot of American developers think of, and they think of Europe as the third. Uh, very frequently. yeah. Um, but there's a big audience that is very popular on or very like uh, in demand on your platform that you're targeting that you suddenly realize as you get a little further into this process that it's going to be a little harder to do.
1: Yeah, that, um, that makes sense.
2: That was definitely the case for me. I really thought like it wouldn't be that difficult and then as soon as I found out they weren't part of the iArc I'm like, okay, well I guess this is going to be a ton of emails or whatever, and maybe it's going to cost me some money. Wait, no, even that won't get me it. So it was very much a rude awakening for me, and it was very disappointing. And so, um, if this is the first time you're hearing about this, uh, you know, I'm I'm happy you know now, and not (laughs) only.
1: Yeah, Um, it's pretty funny because like we did uh, translate our game in Japanese, but we don't sell the game in Japan, right? So like that is yeah. So it it cost us uh, down the line because we didn't know that information.
2: Yeah, it's really unfortunate, and like you know, there's uh, like it it is about. if you do get an entity to help you do that, yeah. then you can actually get many more benefits than just getting a rating. Yeah. Um, so once you, you know, once you can clear that hurdle, uh, you know, it's worth it. Um, the problem is, is that you have to clear it all. Yeah. It's kind of disappointing. Yeah. Um, South Korea, the same too. That's really disappointing because I think that's, an, that's a region where American developers particularly might not think as one of their big targets. Yeah. Um, but is, a, you know, a definite gaming culture oh, in huge. North Korea. Right. Um, that could certainly, would certainly love to play your American games. Yeah. Um, but even if you're going through the trouble of trying to find someone to distribute for you in Japan, um, you know you don't want to do. It's like hard to do that again in somewhere else. So that's that is that is unfortunate. Um, so that, you know that's, those are the main ones. Um, yeah. You know and you, you can you can read about of the others. There's a few that are sort of interesting. Have a couple of interesting pieces of trivia. Um, in Brazil, uh, it's a government regulated uh, group, and they have a really fascinating uh, rating that they no longer use. Um, so uh, it's sort of outdated. Uh, the ER rating is. Um, Something that's they say it's um, it's suitable for all ages, but recommended for older children. Oh, and that's something you wouldn't get from an industry-regulated uh, rating. But yeah. the idea is, is that they, they and this is a lot of um, they use the same ratings for games and television, and so. It's for like children's programming that's suitable for older kids. And it's a way to inform people to say like there's nothing wrong with letting your three-year-old watch this. Yeah. But they might it might not be best for them. Yeah. And I find that really a fascinating use of the rating system. Um, but they don't use it there anymore. So oh. it's really the only example I found of that kind of a of a style of rating. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, it'd be really interesting if, you know, I mean, the difficulties in actually yeah, determining what, what's what what that is and where to apply it. Yeah. Um,
0: I think some games like I remember, they would for humongous humongous games. They would sometimes put what age range they were targeting. Oh, sure,
2: yeah, yeah, and then, yeah, this can be done by the developer, and that might be why it's sort of yeah, it's vestigial. Now. It makes like, a because, lot of sense, especially in that case, because like it's an educational game, and so
1: like it's meant for yeah, ages. and
0: like, yeah, like uh, well, I think a lot of the games we got on PC would have that on the box. Like this is you know. Targeting fourth graders and you yeah. know, stuff like that. Yeah, all of, like yeah. the
1: jumpstart games and stuff would do that. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, and I mentioned the um, the USK in Germany, the, the specific to the sort of Nazi imagery. That's right, the other yeah. sort of piece of trivia that I found interesting. Yeah. Um, there's not a lot of these uh, ones, but there's a couple boards that, um, like the Australian board, if you get a rating from them, and uh-huh. you can get that through iArc. Okay. Then you can you you can translate it to the New Zealand board for free, even though you don't get an IARC rating for New Zealand. So it is incredibly complicated ultimately. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But when you go through these processes and the various platform holders, it all sort of comes into focus. Um, You don't need to memorize any of this stuff necessarily. It's good to have a broad overview and hopefully you've gotten
1: that. I guess the main takeaway from what what I understand is like... uh, Submitting the IARC is pretty simple. Just submit the IRC, answer these questions. Yes,
2: um, and then like. There's no need- general unless you're doing a physical release. There's no reason to do anything other than IR.
1: Yeah, yeah, and so you can, then you can get it in North American and uh, many European places. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you want to submit your game to Japan or South Korea, it's much more complicated. Yes, and you ne- you'll
2: need help. Right, and I'm investigating that for Widget Satchel, and I learned some things, and it's there's wheels a turning. But yeah, uh, I, I would really love to report back. Um. Once I actually know a little more about it, yeah, cool.
1: And uh, I'm curious a little bit about like how uh, our own experiences with ratings have gone. Like, mm-hmm. I guess I don't know like uh, how Treasure Stack got rated and stuff, but like as I was growing up, my parents would, um, consciously inspect like the specifically the rating of the game. Yeah, they would not look at the content of the thing because like mean uh, they don't they don't necessarily know everything that's going on in a game but they right. only and they're busy people. Oh yeah. <laughs> and so they like and so they only looked at the rating of things even though like I would look at them and go like I'm ready for this content. Obviously I was a kid at the time. <laughs> I didn't say about everything. Yeah. <laughs> but um there wasn't there was one instance where like uh we were playing my dad liked splinter slow games a lot mm-hmm. and back then they were probably they don't exist anymore yeah. i guess now but uh there was this one splinter slow game that like i would uh watch with my dad and i think at the time he didn't know it was an M-rated game mm-hmm. um and then uh me and my brother would like play that um a bunch um and uh but my my parents uh did like restricted me from playing m rated games um at this point um Um, And I think at one point, like, me and um, my brother were, like, bragging that we were playing an M game. And my dad overheard (laughs) it and immediately banned us from playing this game. That's great. (laughs) Even though he was perfectly comfortable with me playing the game beforehand.
2: Yeah. Well, your parents played video games. Yes. So they were more in tune to what that even meant. That's true. Um, for me, my parents didn't play video games mm-hmm. and so I played Mortal Kombat in the arcade at the bowling alley ah. uh, when I was young. So when it came out for Genesis, yeah. I was like, it's that game I play at the bowling alley. Yeah. And they're like, okay. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like they would even heard about it and how terrible it was. So oh. that didn't phase them huh. because I played it already at the arcade and they're like, oh, whatever, sure. it's a video it's, game. It's too late now. Yeah. Yeah, they, <laughs> they wouldn't sell it if it would corrupt children. <laughs> 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 you know? <laughs> right. Um, um, so, like, they didn't really crack down on the ratings at all for you. No, not okay. not for films or anything like that. Huh. It, they were pretty hands off. I mean, it might have helped that like me and my siblings were all pretty good kids. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we weren't trying to sneak this or that. But yeah, yeah.
0: My mom was generally against video games, even though my dad, for a significant part of his career, made video games. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> so they had a disagreement <laughs> on that. Yeah, um, which is like why I think we got more video games in the house than my mom would have liked at the time. Uh, but, uh, I don't know if they really looked at the ratings very much, mostly because we didn't really ask for things that were old yeah, uh, for older people mm-hmm. generally. Cause we just weren't interested in that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, we would play like shooters and stuff over at my cousin's house. Uh, and my mom would just be like, both parents would just be like, whatever, these are dumb. <laughs> I don't get why they're even appealing for you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, for films, I know we weren't allowed, I wasn't allowed to watch Titanic, even though people in my class were watching Titanic. Yep. And I was like, they're like, you can't watch it until you're like 11 or whatever. Uh-huh. And then I got to that age and I was not interested in seeing it. And yep. then I saw it as an adult and I was like, this movie is dumb. Why is everyone, why did everyone get obsessed with it back then?
1: <laughs> <laughs> that is really funny because like, I had that same experience. When I was mm-hmm. growing up, I wasn't allowed to play team games until I was 13. Um, And I, I guess, as a result of that, that uh, uh, sculpted what games I was interested in playing in general, because those are the games I would play when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. And so, like, as I got older, I just wasn't interested in, quote unquote, mature content, like, you know, Mortal
2: Kombat things and stuff like mm-hmm.
1: that. Um, so that can influence yeah. uh, what
2: games you play. You know, I have this fun story about Mortal Kombat, but yeah. it's like the only one in that category. Like, I didn't. I wasn't really into violent games uh-huh. necessarily. I did play GoldenEye and you shot a lot of Russians in that game, but yeah. like, <laughs> you know, like, I don't know. Yeah. Like, uh, so yeah, that's interesting. Yeah.
1: It can, I guess it can like uh, affect what games you're, or what it can affect you, I guess in a way. But yeah, then well. there's things
0: that you, that you wouldn't even know a kid would freak out about. Like, like, um, ET is a kid's movie. Yeah. But that movie freaked me out. Yeah. I had to hide behind a thing and like, n- like, you know, uh and was really scared of ET for a really long time sure, right, yeah, and that right. no one would have guessed that <laughs> yeah,
1: i mean it's all it's a generalized system for ex- like like i mean spiders is a common fear for people right. arachnophobia and all that but like uh there's no rating for arachn- or arachnids in games mm-hmm. um understandably because like it just because a spider is in the game doesn't mean that it's going to uh, you know trigger that fear
2: yeah it's um, interesting cuz like how uh fine uh, how, like, granule do you actually do these sorts of ratings? All right. Especially with those little subcategories. Like, how, what, at a certain point, what does it become now? I'm reading an article about the content of this game. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, um, I, I, like, the balance of that is kind of tricky because uh-huh. some people want the simple and some people really want to know the details. Yeah. And um, and so if you have too many details, then the broad rating can be used by people who don't want the details, but also the details can override the impression of the rating, depending yeah. on your personal view. Right. So you might see something with all these ratings and it might end up becoming the habit that the, the, the big rating doesn't mean anything you have to look at the details to like slot it into your feelings. That's what I
1: try to convince my parents of. They never <laughs> listen
2: to me. <laughs> but it becomes, it's a matter of utility. Yeah. Right? Like what good are these ratings if, they, you know, if they're too detailed or too broad? Yeah. You know, or if there's, if there's too many categories like, uh you know, uh rated uh for 13 year olds, rated for 15 year olds, rated for 17 year olds. Yeah. Like, is that useful at all? Mm-hmm. Or, uh, but is it not useful enough to say kids, adults? like, You know, and so that's why these systems usually have, like, four or five, and sometimes that can feel too many, right? Yeah. So it's, there's not really, it's, and, you know, culture changes. Yes. Right? Uh, um, Media literacy uh, evolves. Um, So, like, now, I can't imagine any parent is going to be unfamiliar with ratings on their games Mm -hmm. uh, that they buy children, even if they never played games growing up. Yeah. uh, Like how my parents were sort of unaware of how that works. Yeah. Or what value it held, yeah,
1: but additionally it's also much more easy to access content as a kid yes. now than it was in the past because mm-hmm. you know we have the internet and all that stuff um, and so that can also affect things yeah, uh, I don't know how you like uh, judge all of that content and you know regulate that content in a way that like makes it safe for kids to yeah. explore these things
2: yeah and you know the, the the hope is that whether it's an industry organization. That's doing these ratings or whether it's a government board of some kind mm-hmm. that it's, you know, people who are, um, you know, have a, a um, like the right uh, motivations yeah. for these sorts of things who yeah. are, rather than trying to say push a, an agenda or a political view, trying to reflect culture broadly, mm-hmm. which is difficult because sometimes you want, you know, you put your thumb on the scale without knowing it. Yeah. Um. And so, it, and it's about tr- a lot. So much of this is about trust. Yeah. You know, in in institutions, not you know as well. And then you know you have the parent who says like, you know, I know my kid. I'm going to let them play this M-rated game, but not this M-rated yeah. game. And and uh, th- that that M-rating is not useless to that parent. Yeah. It's just you know they have been done. They have taken that information and then they they have a little bit more of a hands-on application of it, perhaps. Right. You know.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of nuances to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a very fascinating topic glad you brought it up mark
0: Mm -hmm. this show is rated what e for everyone no i don't know i don't know what would our show be rated Uh,
2: sometimes it contains sex and violence
0: that's true like this episode
2: (laughs) (laughs) well i mean we're done with the episode now but there is something to be said about like educational content versus visceral visceral or entertainment oh, yes, content. definitely and, yeah. and what's the context of those things and like the mpa gets in a ton of trouble uh-huh. for rating things that are purely educational something children should see yeah. that would benefit them as higher rated because of the content just exists yeah you know um so that's that's an important topic too yes well it's all educational content here yeah so we are <laughs> we are e for everyone
0: <laughs> yeah
2: <laughs> and that's because steven doesn't let us swear
0: <laughs> well that's our show if you haven't already, subscribe to Nice Games Club in your favorite podcast app, and be sure to give it a good review if you liked it or a nice like us. We really need to know you're out there, so leave a review and tell all your friends too. We also want to hear directly from you, so follow us on Twitter and all the other things at Nice Games Club, and email us at contact at NiceGames.Club. Lastly, you can find more about the show and your nice host, as well as get all the links and show notes from this and other episodes at NiceGames.Club. So until we
2: start again... Remember to play nice
0: and make nice.